Two, two, one. I think it's time that we start the conversation to silence the shame. Silence the shame. Si- silence the shame. Silence is the difference between treatment or pain, life or death. Silence the shame. Speak up now and silence. 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 Silence the shame. Mental Health Awareness Month. My name is Shanti Das. I am the CEO and founder of Silence the Shame. And I'll do the official um, introductions once this young man takes the stage. But you all give a warm, warm, warm ATL welcome for DJ Drama. <laughs> keep it going, keep it going. Woo! King. You just pull that right around. Yes, yes. What's yes. up, everybody? How y'all feeling? All right. So you ready to do this? Uh, yeah, I'm ready. All right. So I got a little intro. So as y'all know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we are super grateful to have this conversation today. Special thanks to the Gathering Spot, Ryan, TK, Kendrella, and the entire team for allowing my nonprofit, Silence of Shame, to team up for Mental Health Awareness Month. Special shout to our staff. We will do those intros at the end of the conversation. But we appreciate everyone for always supporting Silence of Shame as we continue to push the culture forward with thoughtful conversations on mental health and wellness. We aim to educate and empower communities and to continue in the fight to erase stigma on mental wellness. And again, as I mentioned, our guest today is a really, really special one. But you know, I'm embarrassed. I didn't know your your real name till I started digging in. Get out of here! All these years. I just knew you was drama. I mean, it's you crazy. know, people call me shoestring. Some people don't know my, my name. My mom Shoestie. definitely didn't name me drama. <laughs> oh, I know. And we're gonna get into that and how you got that name. <laughs> but Mr. Tyree Simmons, or better known by his stage name DJ Drama, is a legendary DJ, platinum selling producer. Okay, this long, y'all. Music executive, mogul, and co-founder of the music label Generation Now. Born in 1968, the Philadelphia... No, 78. Oh, 78. I'm sorry. My bad, my bad, my bad. I gave you too many years. True. My bad, I flipped it. All right. Born in 1978... Really, 88. 88 is 88. Ah, it was 78. Born in 1978, the Philadelphia native dropped his first mixtape, Illadelph, at just 15 years old. After a trip to ATL with his father, soundtracked by Outkast Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music, he fell in love with the Southern City and eventually attended Clark Atlanta University. And you know, this is a full circle moment because the first record I ever worked was Players Ball. I know, it's crazy. And the fact that I'm having this conversation with him, you know. It's because of that that got me here. That's so dope. (laughs) I love it. So DJ Drama has maintained an enduring career for over 15 years by consistently identifying and championing voices of tomorrow. Whether it's hosting and compiling his iconic Gangsta Grills mixtape. Y'all give it up for Gangsta Grills. For Lil Wayne and Jeezy, to name a few, DJing first for TR, our beloved tip, or signing Lil Uzi Vert and Jack Harlow, DJ Drama always has, and I mean always, his grip on the pulse of the ever-changing history of hip-hop and culture. In addition to being an artist, label owner, studio owner, DJ Drama went on to receive BET's 2022 DJ of the Year Award, and I was in the house. That was such a great moment for you. And also, you. what about y'all? He had a Grammy. He won a Grammy last year, right? Give it up. Thank you. Best Thank rap you. album in 2021 with Tyler, the creator. Yep. Not Call me bad. if you get lost. 
That's exciting. And you continue to break the mold with your groundbreaking mixtape series. Drama recently released his first studio album in seven years entitled I'm Really Like That. And if you haven't already downloaded, please go and download it. Um, featuring hip-hop's most notable heavyweights, including Tyler the Creator, of course, Lil Wayne, Jeezy, T.I., Wiz Khalifa, Gucci Mane, and many more culturally influent influential artists. Again, let's give a big round of applause for DJ Drama. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. So first off, I gotta congratulate you on the new album. I appreciate it. We were it. just in the back talking about it. So mm -hmm. I don't know how many real hip hop heads we have, but did y'all see the promo he did for the album around the movie Juice? That was so dope. You actually had all the characters, the main characters from Juice. I did. I had. How did uh, you pull that off? If you haven't gone, if you haven't seen it, go to go to YouTube or go to my Instagram and check it out. It's like uh, five episodes. Um, I did. I did five like legendary. Uh, um, what is it called? Um, moments from Juice, yep. and it featured Queen Latifah, Omar Epps, uh, Khalil, who played Raheem, and um, uh, Steel from the movie. And you know, when we were just thinking about ideas to promote the album, my staff came up with you know, Juice was my inspiration to become a DJ. That was the reason why I wanted to be a DJ mm. when I was a kid. I wanted to go see the movie, so. Um, I, they, they kind of like thought about, you know, just using juice content to promote the album. And I was like, what if we like really, you know, like redid it? And I, I called Omar Epps. Um, I, I just called Omar Epps, you know. I, I, called, I, I, I called Omar and, you know, he, he was, he was like, yeah, I'm down. I'm super busy. Um, you know, he shoot, he was, he's been shooting in New York. It's, what, what is it? Is it Canine or Power that he's on? It's. It's, it's raising raising cane. Yep. He, he's shooting raising cane. So he was like, I, you know, if we can work it around my schedule. So then I reached out to Khalil. Um, he gave me uh, Steele's number, and then I was like, what if I could really get Queen Latifah? And um, I I called her manager, whose name Shaquem. He ran the idea by her, and then when we were just just this year at the Grammys. We, they did the uh, 50th uh, celebration for hip hop, and I was a part of that. And Latifah was there, and you know I saw her there, and I, I ran an idea by her, by her, and we shot her scene first. And and I actually got Jim Jones to direct it, um, you know, because I knew Jim would be super passionate about it. And yeah, you know, it came out amazing. Like I, I, you know, I kind of played a couple different characters. There was one part during the locker scene with me and Omar Epps and I played like Tupac's role and you know we did the apartment scene but it was like a dream come true to me like you know it was definitely a, a moment for me very full circle and then very just like you know a lot of times in my career I, I think about like the things that I've accomplished I'm like man how can I top this and yeah, you know, I don't it, was, know it, it was it was dope I, it's crazy I just I just got a call today literally on my way over here about an opportunity to, and I don't want to speak too early about doing something with um, a, a, a new television show. Mm. And when the, when the person, you know, told me about the offer, he was like, they, they basically offered it to you because of the watching your juice clips and watching you on camera and, and seeing how you play so the creative. role. That's so creative. You never cool. know how you can take your craft. Yeah, you can clap for that. <laughs> Thank you. You never know what will spark something you else, You never right? know. You never know. That's so dope.
So speaking of hip-hop turning 50, right? Um, yeah. You've obviously made your mark on the culture and in, in, in Atlanta. What was it like for you being a student at Clark and then just wanting to work in the industry? I mean, because you were re that was the beginning. It was. Of the golden age, I would like yeah, to think, that was the era. Hip -hop. The, 90, the 90s and, and the 80s. Which, by yeah. the way, these are the original 1995 Js. I just had to throw that yeah, out. Yeah, okay. that, that was the era when... <laughs> We, you know, we used to look at people like Shanti Das and be like, man, if we could only get on her level. Um, you know, I came to CAU in uh, 96 um, at a time when Atlanta was, you know, really <clears throat> becoming or was like the mecca of hip hop, you know, from from what LaFace was doing, from what So So Def was doing, from what Outkast was becoming and even beyond that, just from like the work that was going on even behind the scenes in studios and, you know, with, with Hitco and, and, pat, and Patchwork, it, it was just like, you know, it was the, it was literally the hub of everything that was going on in hip hop and, and being in the AUC at that time, you know, coming from Philly as a, a, a budding DJ, one, it, it taught me how to be very well-rounded because you know, I'm in a I'm in a, a space where you know you have uh, young uh, uh, people of color from all over the country. You know that that love. You know, Texas people love their music. Florida people want to hear what they want to hear. Right. California wants to hear what they want to hear. And I'm I'm coming from the East Coast, from Philly, when I had a little stubbornness about me at the time. But it and it, it really taught me to to become the DJ that I am. And then even during that time. You know, it it gave me a, um, a, a a space to really like, you know, do my mixtape hustle and like, you know, just being on campus and in between classes, like selling mixtapes and and um, you know setting up my and and just like really training me for to to be where I am now. And the other part about it is 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 that like I met you know my my best friends and my business partners. You know, literally at school in those beginning years. Shout like, out to the affiliates. Shout out to the affiliates. Um, shout to you know my partners, uh, Don Cannon, uh, Lake Show. You know, like DJ Sense. Like we all, we literally met all during those early years, and like 25, 26 years later, like you know, we we run a multi-million dollar business together, and are still. You know, and, and, and beyond that, thank you. And beyond that, we've been able to maintain a friendship, you know, and we see a lot of times in the music business, like the music business can tear friends apart, you know. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely pretty proud of, you know, us being able to, to you know, go from splitting $150 to doing college parties to where we are now. But, but yeah, I mean, I can't imagine... He ain't say that amount, what they splitting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't imagine, like, where my career would be if I wouldn't have chosen to go to school at Clark Atlanta. Like, you know, it, 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 it was just everything for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, being in Atlanta, being around around so many people that still to this day are in the business and, like, just even watching like the the people that came like before us or like those who had just graduated go on to do amazing things like you know mentors like even like DJ Mars mm -hmm. um like Keenan Johnson um you know Kenny Burns 
DJ Trauma. Like, it's just, it was just, it's just so many people. So, and, and it gave us something to aspire to. Because, like, when we were in school, we were like, man, I, when, when is it our turn? Or, like, when's it going to, you know, be our shot? And, and, you know, still to this day, like, you know, wherever I am or, you know, during my travels, I run into people that, you know, went to school in the AUC or went to Clark Atlanta University. And, you know, they're very proud of me and you know I'm very proud of you know being an alum that like really you know you know found a way and made one for sure again let's give it up that's a heck of a career heck of a career so I just want to say you know as much as I love the culture right and it's been celebrated and there's so many beautiful things about hip-hop the four elements I know they're trying to add five and six you know different new elements Mm -hmm. now but, you know, there are things about the industry that I think has plagued our community for many years, and that's the use of drugs and alcohol. Right? Yeah. And I'm, listen, again, I was that girl who would, you know, have my social drinks. You know, mm-hmm. I smoked my J's back in the day and all that good stuff. I'm not embarrassed to say it. But, you know, using it as a way to cope for some, you know, can, is, is the problem. And time and time again, I see some of our young kings and queens fall victim to substance abuse you know, if it's not treated properly, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it can certainly take a dark turn in your life. And so people, you know, that I've talked to, which we talked about this a little bit too, that love you and know you or either don't really know you that well, say you're so cool, but they think you're an introvert, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Do you ever, or did you consider yourself an introvert and did that ever play a part in the career path that you chose? Was it ever too much? And did you ever get like stressed out working in the industry? Um, it's, it's interesting, like, you know, you say that, like, because there, there definitely is a part of my personality, like, a major part of my personality that is, is quite introverted. Like, even when it comes to me and my partner, Cannon, like, I'm, I'm kind of more of the, people see me more, I'm out more, I'm, I'm more places, and, you know, he's, like, the guy in the studio all the time and behind the scenes but like if you were in a room with the two of us he's way more like you know extroverted than I am like you know I I could potentially be in a room of people and and be quite quiet and it's ironic because you know my job or my career is to be boisterous and like when you hear me on the mixtapes I'm talking cash shit like (laughs) I say some of the most arrogant, cocky shit you would ever hear in your life. But, you know, there's also another side of me that's, you know, quite reserved in a lot of ways. And it's, you know, it's weird because, like, even when I think about, like, my voice, like, my voice has been very, a very pivotal part of my career. Um, I get my deep voice from my father. But even early on, like when I chose my path as a DJ, like when I was 13, I didn't sound like this, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, so when I think back of, you know, how how I got here and, um, you know, choosing the career that I've chosen and, you know, just what positions play a part, it's like, you know, it's 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 kind of like God had a, a plan for me in a lot of ways. And, you know, very early on, I think, like, I, I remember being young and kind of, wanting to be famous in a sense but I also remember like you know I always had a a a very clear passion about music and being a DJ so you know when I when I like got into my career it wasn't it it was to me it wasn't like 
oh, I want to do this because I want to be famous. Like it would be, it would be nice to be famous, but you know, I love what I do and I do it out of the passion. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I just think like me as an introvert, it just, it's just, it's just an interesting dynamic for, you know, how my life is because I can like the other day I did the strength of a woman fest and uh, at state farm arena and, you know, went on stage in front of what, 15, 20,000 and, you know, did it effort effortlessly, you know? So like when I get in front of, when I get in my position as DJ drama, I, I can turn it on like that, you know, but I'm also um, when I'm not being DJ drama in the house, a homebody watching documentaries and, you know, just started Game of Thrones trying to get through that. And like, you know, so, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like I, you know, and it, and it's interesting to me that like other people may have pointed out about me being an introvert. Like, you know, some, some would argue that at certain, in certain instances because of like, you know, just how I may move or, or how you may meet me or in different uh, situations. But there was never like a, I never felt like a, a, a stress level or like there was never a point because of, no, I, I, I'll take that back. There was, I do feel like there was a time when like, if I would be in, in a, in a, in a, on a stage or at a club, like I wouldn't want to, I would have to, I would want to have a drink or two, like just to like loosen up, like, all right, I need to like take a couple shots to take the edge off a little bit. Take the edge off. Yeah. So I I will, I can admit that, that there, I did have a period of that where, you know, because like alcohol, like one thing for me was I, you know, for a long time in my life, I was a, I was a big weed smoker, but I learned that weed and DJing never mixed for me because I used to always overthink shit. So I was like, all right, yeah, that's not for me. But alcohol would be the total opposite. It would like loosen me up and I would want to, you know, drink before I, I got up on, on stage or in front of a crowd. And so I think we've all done that, right? You know, you get home, you take a drink to get to take the edge off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about 2015. Okay. Um, and I will say this, uh, you and I spoke maybe five or six months ago. Yeah, it was, it was I, like end of last year. Yeah, end, end of last year. year. And I, I want to just, again, publicly thank you and everyone at Main Street Studios, uh, his recording studio. Uh, Silence the Shame has been recording our podcast there for free since 2018. He never asked for a dime for us. And that was when people weren't talking about mental health. And that was before the pandemic. And I remember you gave me a tour last year because mm-hmm. I hadn't been yeah. um, to the new part of the studio. And, and we just started talking about, you know, the work that we're doing at Silence to Shame. And you said, you know, I'd like to share my story one day. And y'all, no one has heard this story. This is the first <laughs> time of what we're about to talk about that drama has publicly shared. So if you don't mind, take us back to 2015, um, the first time that you actually felt like you were using um, substances as a way to cope. Okay. And you saw things kind of taking a turn in your life. So I guess before we go to 2015, we probably have to go back a little further. Okay. So 
around maybe 2011, 2012, I started drinking lean. Um, I started drinking codeine. And, you know... Just for fun, like after shows or in the studio? Well, originally, yeah. Like, just just like in a casual way, Mm -hmm. you know, I had never, I don't think I had ever tried it before that, but like, you know, codeine lean is like when, when the way you drink it or the way people drink it and you mix it with, with soda and everything, it's like, it's, it's the most amazing taste ever. It's like liquid candy. Mm -hmm. It's, it's delicious. Um, but it's terrible for you, obviously. Um, but I, what wound up happening was, you know, I, I got in a position where, you know, I was going through some relationship issues and had some, had some infidelity issues on my side. And um, I went through a breakup. And while I was drinking lean at that time, you know, I, I started to have sleep pro- sleeping problems. Mm. And I literally, like, couldn't sleep, you know, because... My mind was racing a lot. I had I had felt a lot of guilt, and you know because of the situation. And it was, it, I literally would have to like drink lean to go to sleep, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I so because of that, like I, it I started a habit, and you know it, it got to a point where like it was a little severe. Like I had a couple of of experiences that were um, frightening. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say like overdosing, but just like things that that definitely scared me in a sense where, you know, it it could have went bad. Um, Did anybody around you notice, and were they trying to? Talk yeah, to people you? people knew. I mean, my my close friends, like you know, they were aware um, because you know we were like I would be on the road, we were on the road together, and lean also like it changes your personality a little bit, like, or it did mine. It would, it would make me really grumpy and like, just kind of like aggy and things like that. And then actually, yeah, I had a, there was a, I had a, um, uh, experience in LA where I had been drinking it and my business partner Lake was with me and we literally were like after a gig and I was going to the hotel and I think I like, I like literally like passed out on my way to my room or something like that. Um, so I, I, I drank lean for about maybe like, mm, from like maybe like 2012 to about 2014. Other thing about it is because of the soda and the, and the calories and everything, it puts a lot of weight on you. Mm -hmm. So it, like I got kind of chubby off of the shit and that because of that at the time, you know, I started to work out a lot and change change my eating habits and my diet and I, I wanted to get off of it um but I still had had you know sleeping problems so so um the person that I was getting it from um told me I, I had stopped drinking lean and they kind of put me on a Xanax and I started taking Xanax to go to sleep and then around the same time I was interested. Do you mind if I asked it just like one pill a night? Yeah, I think so. It would be like maybe like half, half. a bar or something uh-huh. like that, you know. And while I was while I was using Xanax, I was introduced to Percocets. And I had never, you know, taken pre- prescription drugs or pills 
before that at any time. And I remember, you know, so 2015 was the first time I had taken a Percocet and I literally like fell in love with the feeling. Like it was just super euphoric. You know, I just, it, it made me feel like I was on cloud nine and then it also would help me like go to sleep. So um, that was the beginning of my Percocet use. And, you know, I, I wasn't very versed or knowledgeable at the time, but you know, like, when I first started, I started literally like taking like a 10, which is 10 milligrams. And, you know, I, I will say the person that I was, that was supplying me at the time, um, he cared about me because he wouldn't sell me uh, like more than, than a certain dosage and I would want. And the thing about perks is like when you take them, you know, your body gets used to it. So the feeling that you might get from taking one 10 milligram after, I don't know, a couple of weeks or a month or whatever of taking that, it's not going to give you the same feeling. So then you're going to want to take two. So you're taking... Well, that's with anything, right? You get used to it or your body gets used to it. I would it. think so. I mean, next. yeah, I mean, opioids are known for that. Yeah. Like, for sure, you know, like... Um, damn, what's that? What's that show called? There's a oh, um, Dope Sick. I don't know if anybody's have seen Dope Sick before, but like, it's an amazing show, and and I, I I advise everybody out there to to check it out. It's 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 literally about how the Sackler family, you know, used used and abused opioids in the opioid crisis to take advantage of middle America, America, and just like how sickening they were. I mean, like, so I'm talking about, like, a 10 milligram. Like, there was a period of time when they were making, like, a 160 milligram pill. Um, so, yeah, that was that was literally the beginning of, you know, my my Percocet addiction or, or I wouldn't even say addiction at that time, but usage and, like, did dabbling into taking, you know, uh, opioids. Thank you for sharing that. Um, at what point did you really feel like it was a problem? Like, wh when did your family start seeing uh, behavioral change, right? Because that's the thing with mental health, because the work that we do at Silence of Shame is primarily just mainly around, you know, mental health, but you have to talk about addiction and behavioral health, right? And the patterns that you start seeing. And mm -hmm. so to me, and, and what we talk about is it goes hand in hand, right? Mm -hmm. The depression, the anxiety, um, a lot of people are trying to numb the pain. Right? Yep. That's why they start using it. And so when did you or your family see it being a real problem? It, it took a while. I mean, so I went from like uh, for a couple years, um, you know, probably taking a certain dosage or, you know, maintaining a, a, a certain level of my habit. And not really, not even really realizing like how it would affect me in a sense. Like you know, I, I, I went from one point of like I would I would take them to go to sleep, mm -hmm. and then next thing you know, I was taking one in the morning. I would take one in the afternoon. Then I would take two at night or something like that. And then you know, I started. I got introduced to like thirties, which were like thirty milligrams. And then, like, you know, as time went on, 
you know, I, I just, I, I noticed myself ticking more and more and more because it's almost, it was like chasing a, a certain high. So I didn't even, I didn't realize I really had a problem until about 2018 um, when I, I think it was one random day where I wound up not having any, any pills or no, any perks. And my body just started like feeling crazy. And I started like just sweating. I was, I couldn't sleep and, you know, my bones started to ache and I was just like, I was going through it. And I, I, I called somebody and I was like, yo, I feel fucking crazy. And they were like, oh, you're going through withdrawals. And I'm like, what, what are withdrawals? You know what I'm saying? So I went right to the internet and I looked it up and, you know, I, I literally looked up like, you know, what withdrawals were and, and what your body goes through, you know, once your body is, is used to taking opioids and, and, and getting used to it. And I told, I told myself after that day, like it felt my, it felt so painful and like so terrible. I told myself I'll never go another day without having a Percocet after that. Like, I'll, ne I'll never forget that day in 2018 when I told myself, oh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll never want to have this feeling again. Like, I'll, I'll make sure at any time I'm, I'm going to make sure to have Percocets. So from there, it was like I went into, like, a, a, a habit of probably spending five, $6,000 a month, like, on perks. Wow. Like, you know, and, and that's so, like, after doing research and – you know, really diving into it, it's like, you know, I, I, it's, it's sickening, you know, the opioid crisis, like how, how it leads to, you know, heroin and things like that, because, you know, a normal average person can't afford a $5,000, $6,000 a month habit on taking pills, you know what I'm saying? Like, and you can go and get heroin in the street and give you, and literally like when you take opioids or you take Percocets, when you, the, the degree that I was taking them, like the, the, the state that it would put me in, it was literally the same as if I was doing heroin. I mean, it's like, you, there's, it's like being a zombie in a sense. Um, so it was around that time, I actually wound up going on a summer tour, which I always go on. And, you know, I like, and I was, it was, it was interesting because like I was in, <coughs> bless you. I was in like, I was in great shape. I was working out. I was, you know, like my job, my career was going good. I was on tour and I was doing all these things. And I was like calling myself like a, a functional junkie. Like, oh yeah, I got this under control. Like I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm on, I'm on perks, but it's not affecting anything, you know, not realizing that like does affect a lot like it would you know it makes you make irrational illogical decisions like you know you're not I'm, I wasn't thinking clearly in a lot of situations and not even realizing it you know let alone just how I how I may have looked to you know outsiders or you know slurring my words or just you know however you know but but I, I hid it from a lot of people for a long time um you know my friends knew and i was 
That's what I wanted to ask you, because oftentimes in the music industry, you know, we talk about entourages, right, and the camp and the crews that are around you. Did anyone in your camp ever say anything or try to help? Yeah, I mean, that little, I mean that's what wound up putting me on a, a, a path of getting right was my friends, you know, after they realized it was getting to a stage of really affecting my life, you know, they, they called my family members and had somewhat of a, more not somewhat, had an intervention with me and was like, yo, like, Tyree, you got to get this shit together. Like, it's, you know, it's it's out of control. And so, yeah, so, you know, my my friends and who are my business partners, you know, Lake and Cannon, you know, reached out to my mother and my father, you know, um, and other family members and, you know, I came home one day and everybody was in my house and, you know, it was sitting there saying, like, what are we going to do about this? Thank you for just opening up. It's all good. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's why I don't, like, I, I don't know if I, am I really an introvert or am I not an introvert? Like, I, I tell it quite comfortably, so I don't I, I like to I don't sometimes know. call myself... Um, an extroverted introvert. I like that. <laughs> I, like that. A new, a new I, I can rock with that. So talk to us a little bit about the journey of when you actually got the help, right? And, yeah. and going into treatment. And mm -hmm. were you, was there a time, you know, where you went back through your withdrawals and you yep. were depressed or, you know, you, you, you couldn't really work and do what you wanted to do and, and your career was kind of put on hold. What was that like for you, Drama? So all this happened around... February, March, February of 2020. So I decided that I was going to go to rehab or I was, I was toying with the idea of going to rehab February, 2020. And, you know, I started looking at all these different places and from, you know, local places to, Hawaii and Denver and just all types of stuff. But then I was also like, man, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I got my Vegas residency. I got this gig. Like, I don't have six weeks to put to the side or, you know, I don't have time to, to do this or do that. And, you know, as I was making phone calls um, and I was looking at various places, I, um, I, I called this, I called this one place and they told me, well, before you come to rehab, you have to go to, um, through a detox program. And, you know, they gave me some recommendations. And one of the recommendations they gave me was this place called Mount Sinai. And I looked up, I looked it up. And when I looked it up, it just kind of struck me as a, as a kind of different, like, you know, it, it had like, it, they said they offered like meditation and yoga and, um, you know, they had like daily workout classes and just things that I wasn't noticing at other, other like rehab facilities. So I, I literally took a trip. Um, it's in Delana, it's a place in Delanaga, Georgia. And I took a trip up there and I went up there, I think with my mom and, you know, like I should, I, I had my driver take me in a Maybach and, I pull up to Mount Sinai, so I guess it wasn't the most like discreet 
way to show up at a, a rehab facility. <laughs> so as I, as I was looking around and I, I left, I got a phone call. Um, and this guy named Jeff it was, was on my phone and he was the owner of Mount Sinai. And I guess someone wound up telling someone that DJ Drama just came up here and he was like, look, I just, I just heard you came up here. He said, yo, give me a chance, like, um, come come to us, and I promise, you know, I got you, I'll take care of you, like, you know, I, you know, they, they told me you came, and I was like, all right, bet. So, literally, I had a gig in Vegas coming up, like, that Friday, and, like, it got canceled by that by that Thursday, the world has shut down. So every, it was like- All the pandemic. The hit. pandemic hit. Like the, the pandemic hit like right then and there. And I was like, this is the time. Like, you know, so I, I literally like checked myself in <clears throat> to Mount Sinai that Monday, like literally right when the pandemic hit and everything closed down. So I, I, I went, I, I really, and I just made it in because they, had stopped even accepting patients to a point, but I went to rehab for the first time, like at the very beginning of the co of COVID and the pandemic. And yeah. So that was, uh, I don't know if you're a spiritual person, but that was a blessing. It, it was, it was definitely a blessing in disguise in a lot of ways yeah. because I was kind of like toying with like, you know, it's almost like I, I, because of that, I, like, forced myself, like, you got to go right now. Like, there's no better time, you know, because I didn't know what I was going to do. Like, I was going to have to cancel all my gigs and disappear. And, you know, and I remember the other thing about Mount Sinai, too, was they allowed us to, like, keep our phones, um, which was important to me. Um, like, it wasn't, it was, I didn't feel, like, away from the world. So, yeah, like the pandemic hit and, you know, I was I was in a rehab facility in a detox um, space. And like... Was it scary? Um, so the, the first day I got there, you know, and I remember like the, the owner actually came and picked me up. And like that morning I took like, I probably took like four, four thirties, which is... 30, like uh, 120 milligrams. So I was high as a kite on my way to Mount Sinai when they checked me in. Wow. And so I got there and, you know, they they take your vitals and they, you know, they, they put you in inpatient and everything. And, you know, I, I had a room, I had a room to myself. And <clears throat> I remember like the first day, like I barely even came out the room. I like slept the whole day away. And I, I think, like, it was, like, a Friday, so they had, like, this, like, you know, they would do, like, barbecue or, like, hot dogs and hamburgers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, like, I remember just the, the smell of it, like, just, like, it, it was it was just getting to me. And I, I had, like, maybe by, like, the second day, <clears throat> you know, I hadn't felt any withdrawals or had any feelings and I remember calling talking to my mom and like 
I don't need to be here. Like I want to, it, it, it was, it reminded me of like the 10 year old me going to summer camp, crying to my mom, like wanting to come home. And I was like, I don't need to be here. I can do this on my own. Like I'm good. I don't feel no withdrawals. I'm fine. And she was like, yo, just give it a chance. Like, you know, cause I, I originally had went just for detox and not like for the rehab facility, for the rehab part. So I, I hadn't, I hadn't, I wasn't scheduled to go to any like any meetings or, you know, any of the counselor counseling and anything like that. So I was very standoffish at first, you know, one, just cause I was in that mood. And two, obviously I didn't really want to get recognized or, right. you know, be seen by anybody. And then, um, at maybe by like this, this two days in the withdrawals kicked in and they, they have this thing they give you called Suboxin, which is um, which they offer to people to um, what's the word to like get off of, of opioids. To like wean you off. Yeah, to wean you off Suboxin. It's it's like a it's like a strip, and it 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 blocks the receptors in your brain okay. that um, that like are, that give you the the high off opioids and like. Um, or the desire, right? Or the desire, yeah. So, and, and and from the withdrawals too. So, you know, because that was one thing my mom would say to me. She was like, "Don't you're not there. Don't feel any pain. Like the reason why you go to these places is so you don't have to go through the pain of cold turkey or you know not like like that's what they're there for." Um, so I, I started the suboxin, and then this this counselor. Um, came into my room like maybe the third day and just was like she wanted to come check on me and you know just see how I was doing and we wound up talking and I just kind of like opened up to her and literally told her like my whole life story and she was like you know I know you're only here for detox but I really think it would help you if like you went to some of the classes or went to, you know, one of the, one of the men's uh, sessions. And she was like, there's a, a therapist, a counselor named Amy, and I would love for you to meet her. Like, I think you got, like, I, I think she would be incredible for you. And I was like, okay, I'll go. Like, you know, I opened up. I was like, all right, I know I'm not here for that, but I'll check it out, you know. So about it, like the third day, I kind of had came out my shell and, you know, I started interacting with people and things like that. And it definitely didn't take long for people to realize, like, who I was or, you know, like, for, like, the chatter to start that I was up there. And so I went to, so I, I wound up going to a group session um, um, for, like, during part of, like, re, the rehab. It was like a, it's like a men's group and you know, it was, I guess, you know, we all sit in a room and, you know, have conversations and, and talk and tell about ourselves. And I was, I was still a little quiet, like the first day. And then the second day I had like an individual session with Amy, like after our group session, um, that was scheduled. And just to like backtrack a little bit, like before I had maybe like six months before I wound up going to rehab, I had actually like had a therapist and, you know, I didn't really like her. Like she 
the the therapist that I had originally had had, had she just I always made it I always say like she was like a warm blanket like you know when I would tell her things or or explain myself like the way she would respond to me was kind of just like like made me feel good or tried to make me feel good <clears throat> so at when I had this when I sat down with with Amy and I had this one-on-one and I just kind of opened up to her and you know it was like a good maybe hour and a half of of us you know her getting to know me me getting to know her and me telling her my story and what have you and literally like within that one session with her I got so much out of sitting and talking to her that like I had gotten from a a person in like a therapist or just a counselor or anyone like it she like blew my mind away like to the point where I was like can I see you again and you know I was only supposed to be there for a certain amount of days and like I wound up extending my stay because I wanted to continue to have some more sessions with Amy um so during this time I was the, the, the way they were prescribing me Suboxone was pretty much like a, a taper system. So like the first day I started with like 16 milligrams and then they would take me to 12 and they would take me to eight and to six to four to two. So by the time, and, and I, I, Mount Sinai was like a really dope place, you know, like it was kind of like even like too nice, like to the point where I was like, I got to get out of here. Like this shit feels like summer camp for for people on drugs like it's, it's volleyball like it's just it's too I gotta go like I had to it get back self care I had to get back to the real world so yeah so I, I I wound up staying for 10 days or maybe no like two weeks and you know one of the one of the greatest things I got out of it was that I, I met Amy um and I asked her, could she continue to be my therapist? And by law, <clears throat> she wasn't she wasn't allowed to for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that was 2020. So maybe by like September of 2020, when the amount of time had lapsed, I called her because she had she had actually she had given me another recommendation for another therapist to see when I left. And I, I started going to him, and it just wasn't the same. Like it wasn't, it wasn't Amy. And I called her, you know, months later. I was like, "Hey, it's it's been four months. Like, can you know, can I see you?" And um, I know it sounds like I'm talking to a girl, but it, it wasn't. It was just. <laughs> Never mind. It's all good. I tell people sometimes therapy is like dating. You gotta keep swiping until you find the right. But one. like and. You know, we started our Zoom conversations, and she's my therapist to this day. Um, so, wait, so y'all are still in session? Oh, I'm. St- I still see. I see Amy every week. Yes. Yeah, I love it enough. Yeah. I, it's 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 all on Zoom, but yeah, I I I have weekly I have weekly sessions with Amy, like to this day. So why now? 
Why share your story now? And what, what would you like for everyone listening today to take away from this conversation? Um, well, one, just, so, just to finish and, and to explain why now. Do we have time? Are we yeah, on yeah. a... Okay. Yeah, yeah. So tw- when I got out of rehab, I came back and the world was shut down. So I came back to a whole nother world. Um, and, you know, like it wasn't the real world. So um, I stayed clean for not too long because like there were... I came home mid-April 2020 and like, you know, even during those couple of months during the pandemic, like I got my hand on a Percocet here or there and I would okay. I would take it. Okay. But it wasn't, I hadn't formed, you know, the same type of habit because I couldn't get them, you know, like I didn't have anywhere to get them from. But by November, December, you know, and especially Atlanta, like Atlanta was like wide open um, compared to the rest of the country. And I wound up running, I was out and about in the city and I wound up running in a, you know, somebody in a random uh, club and, you know, I found out they had Percocets and I, 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 I started back. So I relapsed in like December of, 2020 and um you know I, I found myself like you know I had been going out a lot which isn't something I, I would normally do like you know again I'm I'm a homebody but seeing that I wasn't working a lot and you know just how I was wanting to stay fresh with the music and culture and shit like I just found myself out a lot in Atlanta and in situations that weren't weren't like tip, weren't normal to my personality and then when I when I found when I started back taking perks again I started I went back into like this isolation mode and I went back in the house and like instead of going out I would you know be in the house taking perks just like in my room and you know I I started my habit back up and um you know like it's like on a personal level like it's it's something that like I've I've told people or I've talked to people I've spoken to people about like obviously you know this is a the biggest platform that I've talked spoken about it publicly but so all of 2021 I continued I was back on Percocets and then I had a situation where literally I, I, I was about to like overdose. Like I had to go to the hospital, like, you know, they put the, I forget what it's called, but like Narcan. the Narcan, oh, no. they put Narcan in me and like, you know, I was still dozing off and, you know, they were, they were literally gonna like 1016 me, which means like they were gonna keep me in the hospital like, like almost like on some psych ward shit and like I had to like two days I was supposed to go shoot a movie um the movie you people um like two days um after the after I had was in the hospital lo and behold some some um nurse was in the hallway 
talking about, oh, yeah, you don't know DJ Drama? Like, Lil Wayne, dedication to, like, da-da-da. And, you know, that's a clear HIPAA violation. Um, If people are familiar with what HIPAA is. And because of that, I was able to, like, get myself out of the of that situation because they were going to keep me in there and I would have missed that opportunity to go, you know, film that movie. And, you know, because of, you know, the hospital being scared of, you know, her HIPAA violation, I was able to like use it to my advantage to, to leave the situation. So then I I went to go shoot the movie and during um, one of the breaks, I wound up in a conversation with Jonah Hill and, um, you know, Jonah's, Jonah's very uh, public about his, you know, his, um, his addictions in the past and his situations. And, you know, not to put too much of our personal conversation out there, but he was really very uplifting to me and for me, like, just about building a, a support group, you know, and having people of, of, like minds or you know people you can call on like when you're when you're in need or when you when you hit when you have that feeling and you know it was you know it was another sign from God because you know if I wouldn't have got if I would have gotten 10 16 I would have wouldn't have been on this movie set talking to Jonah Hill about you know our addictions or you know being in that space um so just to fast forward a little bit, I, so by that time, again, my parents were, you know, aware um, that I was, I was taking again, and I had, I had just, you know, went to a, a, a doctor to get some Suboxone on my own just to start the process of, like, you know, getting off the pills, and I just never could do it, like, Every time I, I got to a point, I always got scared of the withdrawals. And instead of taking a Suboxone, I would take another Percocet. And um, what was I about to say? Um, you know, and like my biggest fear, like I, one thing I used to always talk to Amy, my therapist, about was like I, my fear is that I'm going to end up like Michael Jackson or Prince. Like these two of the world's biggest stars ever and you know they 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 died of prescription pills like why am I any different you know what I'm saying like this shit's gonna kill me like it's only a matter of time like and you know like one day and you know I it it didn't at that point it didn't scare me enough to stop me but I I continue to always have that thought like I'm going to wind up like Michael Jackson or Prince and people are going to be on Instagram posting pictures of me saying RIP DJ drama. You know what I'm saying? And so last year, um, right before I started tour with uh, Wiz Khalifa again, I I, I told myself, like, I got three options here. Like, I'm either going to go on the road and buy a bunch of perks to take with me and I'm gonna abuse it or I'm gonna be on the road and I'm gonna be searching for them and not know where I'm, I'm getting them from and it's gonna wind up being fentanyl or three, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like be going through withdrawals cause I don't have them. 
And I literally called my man Jeff from Mount Sinai. And I was like, look, bro, I'm about to go on tour in a week. Like, I don't, I, I need some help. And he was like, come up here. We'll take care of you. And so a week before I went on tour, I, t- I, I took myself back to Mount Sinai. And um, I checked myself in July 22nd. And that was the last time I've had a Percocet. Yes. Mount Sinai saved your life. Thank you. Thank you. Can I just say how proud of you I am? It takes so much courage. I mean, just to even be on that stage tonight takes a lot of courage. I I appreciate that. And, you know, I'm I'm extremely proud of myself. And then, you know, like, even that second time at Mount Sinai, like, literally from the first day that I was there, I, when I went, this this guy came up to me like, dude, you look just like DJ Drama. <laughs> and he's like, I've heard he's been here before. And I'm like, man, if I wanted to make some money, I could sue this shit out this place. But, you know, they have been so good to me. And like, you know, everyone, the second time I went, like everybody knew that I was there. Like everybody knew DJ Drama's here. But it wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't ashamed of it. Like, I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't high-knit or, you know, I like, because, like, I'm no different. Like, you know, everyone goes, everyone has these problems or a vice or, you know, like, or not that everyone has these problems, but, like, people go through this, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, regardless of what my career is or what my success is, like, I'm no different from this kid in here who who's ha, has these cope, coping issues or you know these substance abuse issues or you know his his or her mental health. So like for me like even being there and everyone knowing it was me there like I was I was super open about it and I was I was cool and you know even with the the way the staff were like you know I would tell them like no nah, it's all good like I'm not I'm not tripping like you know just in different scenarios of, you know, HIPAA, HIPAA violations is a very serious thing. Yeah. And, you know, my my HIPAA rights had, had been violated a lot, but I, it wasn't, you know, it, it didn't bother me. So, you know, even after I left Mount Sinai that second time and I've been on this journey ever since and I've been clean, it's like, you know, I've been very open and just, you know, vocal about like my experiences and and just you know being so proud and happy that like I'm so close to a year of being clean and off of birds. Yes. That's so dope. So if you notice on the flyer it says healing in public. So it's not, it's not a shame um, we have this campaign called Healing in Public. You are the epitome, right, of healing in public because we get up every day and we have to go to work. And we have to be resilient for our families and we have to continue in our careers. And I mean, everything, you know, you're wearing a hat of, you know, music exec, artist, yeah. DJ, all of that. You're consistently healing in public. Yeah. Again, and we're so proud of you. We're going to open up shortly for Q&A, but I want to just ask you one last thing. Like, mm-hmm. kind of what is life, what is life like now for you and how, how do you take care of yourself and are you eating clean? Are you yeah. drinking a lot of water? What do you do if you ever have urges? Like, you still talk to Amy? Like, what is yeah. what is that process as you continue to heal in public? <clears throat> Excuse me. Like. It's it's all of the above of what you said. I mean, 
you know, I, I try to eat as clean as possible. You know, I mean, I, I, we all have our moments, but um, yeah, I definitely cha- I, I changed my diet. You know, I try to drink a gallon of water every day. Like I have daily, I mean, weekly sessions with Amy. Like, you know, I just, I, I saw my life like literally take a turn, you know, in a, in a better space, you know, since I've been clean and, <clears throat> and just being able to focus on, you know, my family, my career. Like, um, I actually like public suboxone is, um, something that they prescribe to people that you can, you can take it where you can take it for a short period of time or you can take it for an extended period of time. So like when I was on tour, I was taking Suboxone during the whole tour, and um, there's there's also something called a sublicade shot. So since um, maybe like September of, of last year, um, I, I get a sublicade shot, which is similar to Suboxone, but instead of having to take it manually every day, you know, I just I get a shot every uh, every month, you know, just to kind of like you know, make sure in a sense, I guess, like that I don't have any urges or anything like that. And, you know, there's a part of me that's at, at this stage in my life that's not sure if it's because of the supplicate or just because I tell myself every day I'm never, I'll never take a Percocet again. Like, you know, and I've been around them, you know, I've had situations where, you know, they've been right next to me and I've, I've had no urges to take them. So, you know, like even moments like that, I was like, wow, like that would have never happened in another time. And, you know, like you said, like just like the things that I do or live my life or like, you know, I'm running in a business or being an artist or, you know, doing gigs, like doing these things like people would have never imagined in a million years that I was going through this, you know, like. I had this conver- I briefly had this conversation <clears throat> with T Pain on his podcast, and he was like, "Dude, I I would have never known," and I was like, "Yeah, like why would you? You know, I was I hid it from the world, you know what I'm saying? But um, but yeah, like you know, I'm I'm in an amazing space in my life. Like you know, it feels great, and you know, I continue to work out every day and eat clean and and, and drink water and just you know, just enjoy life and and know that, you know, with all due respect, like, I'm not going to wind up like Prince or Michael Jackson in that way. Well, you always have a friend in silence of shame in me. I appreciate that. We got your back, and you can call and text 3 or 4 in the morning. Thank you. And I'll be there for Lake and the crew, anybody that needs me. I appreciate it. And, you know, I've, I've, like, when we spoke and when I've, like, you know, it's been a part of me that's, like, wanted to tell this story, you know, like, like even my persona in a lot of ways is very, what's the word, like, like, like you know, the, the DJ drama that people hear on mixtapes or the, the character of DJ drama is, like, this flawless individual, but, like, Tyree Simmons is a real human being, you know what I'm saying? And like, this, this is a real issue. And you know, it's not, it's, 
it's not foreign. Like even from me watching <clears throat> Dope Sick, like you know, just even when I was watching it, it brought it brought tears to my eyes just to to watch the damage that you know these companies and what the opioid crisis has done to you know so many people or like how it affects so many people like like my struggle is not foreign to a lot of people you know and it's like you know even me talking to Jonah Hill or or him telling me like yeah he and Eminem had the same conversation and M told him to call him when he might have had an issue like you know like even people in the limelight like we're all human beings. We all have struggles that, you know, we deal with. And it's it's important for people like myself to tell my story, to, you know, to open it up for those who could be or know someone that might be dealing with the same things. Absolutely. Thank you again for trusting us with your story. Most Everybody, in, indulge me for one second, including you. Everybody, close your eyes. I got to read, so I got to keep my eyes open. And repeat after me. I am peace. I am peace. I am love. I am love. I am joy. I am joy. I am everything I need to be. I am everything I need to be. I, I am, am enough. Enough. Let's give it up for DJ Drama. Thank you. Thank you. But the fact that you all are here tonight and showing up in the room, right? You're already being an advocate for your friends and family members and you don't even know it, right? Or that friend or that colleague or that artist you're working with, right? Or that classmate. Um, being here, getting the knowledge, continuing to have these type of conversations. That's why we love the gathering spot. And again, appreciate TK and Ryan and Kendrella and everybody for realizing the importance of this. We got to have these conversations even outside of May, right? Being Mental Health Awareness mm -hmm. Month. But just normalizing the conversation, y'all. Your people are people. Life be lifing with life all of us. That's lifing. like my favorite saying now. Life be lifing. Mm -hmm. And I don't care who you are. Doctor, lawyer, psychiatrist, mm -hmm. dentist, music executive, gangster grills founder. You know, mm -hmm. go on and on and on. But we have to really continue to, to be lead with compassion, to not judge people that might be going through stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And to try to like just you know, be there for ways. Sometimes they just need you to sit there and listen to them, all right? Or if somebody's going through withdrawal, just sit there with them and hug them. Let them, let them kind of tell you what they need. And if that doesn't work, then you come with the family interventions. But try to have a plan in place. But the best thing you can do is to equip, equip yourself with the knowledge and education and empower your community, right? Our vision with Silence of Shame is mental health equity for all, right? It's our vision for the future. Behavioral health support and care for all, right? And so this man right here is my hero. Mm. And I just wanna thank you again from the bottom of my heart and thank you from Silence of Shame for sharing your healing and public story. Once again, y'all, let's give it up for DJ Drama. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for allowing me the platform to share my story. And who knows, more to come. We, 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 we can get on some even bigger stages and share for the story. Sure. You, you in with us, you locked in now, bro. Oh yeah, I'm in. Twin. I just wanna let y'all also know that um, the raffle is still open. We need you all to complete the event surveys. For small nonprofits like Silence to Shame, for us to be able to share outcomes, it's important, y'all. I know it's tedious, 
but use the QR code. My staff is passing it around. Take the survey. It's a chance to win $100. Follow Silence of Shame on social media. If you were here tonight, you like what you saw, this powerful message, this, this man laid his, his life out in front of y'all, right? And bared his soul and was so vulnerable. Let's keep the conversation going with hashtag Silence of Shame. I have to be, uh, I would be remiss if I did not thank our Silence of Shame team, our executive director, Jewel Gooding, our creative director, Megan Shawjord Pringle, um, our new program manager, Russell Patterson, uh, our operations director, Tamir Wood, and our co-host of the Silence of Shame podcast and, and TV producer, Free the Vision. We are a small but mighty team, but we're out here trying to save lives. So thank you, get some swag. Mingle, we got some mocktails going. I intentionally did mocktails because I thought it was appropriate for this evening. Um, that's not to say you can't have your glass of wine when you get to the crib. Mm -hmm. We're just doing mocktails tonight and being respectful of the moment and space that we're in. But again, remember to take time, y'all. Save a life and silence the shame. Thank you. Three, two, one. I think it's time that we start the conversation to silence the shame. Silence the shame. Si silence the shame. Silence is the difference between treatment or pain, life or death. Silence the shame. Speak up now and silence. 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 Silence the shame.